You're listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. Here's your host, Dr. Stephen Edelman, founder and director of Taking Control of Your Diabetes, clinical professor of medicine, Division of Endocrinology and Metabolism, University of California, San Diego, and San Diego Veterans Administration Healthcare System. Diabetic peripheral neuropathy remains one of the most common complications in people with diabetes, leading to pain, disability, and amputations. Joining us to discuss neuropathy is podiatrist specializing in diabetic foot problems at the Veteran Affairs Healthcare System in San Diego, California, Dr. Ingrid Cruiser. Dr. Cruiser, welcome to Reach MD. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about the prevalence of neuropathy in people with diabetes. Well, approximately 50% of the type 2 diabetics will have some degree of neuropathy after about 20 years of diabetes. As you know, type 2 diabetes is often undiagnosed for many years. So it is not uncommon for a type 2 diabetic to present at the time of diagnosis with some degree of neuropathy already. Sometimes that's their main complaint is tingling, burning sensations or numbness in their feet. I know that the symptoms can change over time. So give us an idea of what kind of symptoms we should be listening for when we take a history. Well, there are actually quite a lot of symptoms of neuropathy. It can be a sharp shooting kind of a pain, stabbing pains. It could be primarily a burning sensation, burning pains. It could be tingling, numbness. Sometimes it's hot or cold sensations. So people are concerned that they don't have good circulation in their feet because the feet feel cold all the time, even though they have good pulses and their feet are warm. Sometimes it's the opposite. It's heat sensations. So the, the symptoms vary quite a bit. Not everybody has to have all of these. And the same with how often does it bother people. Some people have pain and discomfort all day long, all night long. Others have it two or three times a week. So it's quite a variation. And I, ironically, as the neuropathy gets worse, some of these symptoms eventually go away and then they're totally insensate, which makes them most susceptible to developing problems. Actually, it is only about 10% of the diabetics that actually will have a painful kind of neuropathy with sharp shooting pains, burning pains. Most of them will have some numbness in the toes or tingling numbness, and then that subsides, and they're left just with the numbness. And as you said correctly, this numbness can increase. It can go from just the toes being numb to half the foot. And then as, you know, in a stocking distribution, it can go all the way up to the knee. So a lot of my patients are numb all the way up to their knee. So they don't have complaints of pain. They just have numbness, and as you said correctly, that's actually when the problems start. So what's the fastest and most efficient way to pick it up on a physical exam if you're a busy practitioner with eight minutes per patient? A good screening test is the monofilament, 10-gram monofilament testing, which are widely available by various drug companies, and they're disposable. And you basically want them to close their eyes so they can't see what you're doing, and you show them first on your hand so they know what they should feel. So it's just a little bit of pressure. And uh, then you test them on various parts of the foot. Start at the ankle, perhaps, the top of the foot, then the bottom on the arch area, and then I check under the metatarsal head, so the ball of the foot, and then I check on the top and on the bottom of the toes. And I have them tell me if it's the big toe, if it's the little toe, you know, 
localize it because sometimes they can feel it. They can't tell you where it is. Sometimes they feel it along the distribution of the nerve, but further proximal. So that is a quick test. It doesn't take long, and that should be done. And the other thing that should be screened, of course, is the pulses. So you should check two things in your two minutes with the patient. Check the pulses in the foot and the monofilament. So the dorsalis pedis and posterior tibial? Yes. Check those two and check monofilament. Well, how often should these folks be screened for neuropathy? Well, at the minimum, they should have a yearly foot exam. And there are many patients I see just once a year. And these are people that have good pulses and maybe just a little bit of numbness in the toes, and they're doing quite well. On the other hand, if I have somebody who has a little bit more neuropathy, or let's say, you know, the whole foot is numb, then these are people that need to be followed much more frequently. And typically, I see my patients every two or three months. And these are people that have neuropathy. They may have some calluses or something that needs to be debrided. But a lot of times, it's true that when you come in for a regular screening visit at two or three months, they actually come in with a problem, with a wound or with a blister they didn't notice. And then I pick this up. So once you get to the insensate foot, you need to watch them very carefully. They need to be in special shoes. They need to have orthotics, custom insoles. They need to do daily foot checks, and you need to have keep a close eye on somebody. Well, great. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Diabetes Discourse on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am Dr. Steve Edelman, and I'm speaking with Dr. Ingrid Kruser. We are discussing diabetic peripheral neuropathy. What's the relationship between uh, peripheral neuropathy and glycemic control? There's a very strong relationship between that as the DCCT trials have shown, 70% of peripheral neuropathy can be prevented by good glycemic control from the onset. But unfortunately, as I said before, some folks are unaware that they are diabetic for many years and may have some neuropathy at the time of onset of diagnosis. Well, let's talk about the medications available to treat neuropathy. The most common used medications probably are still the tricyclic antidepressants. Amitriptyline and imipramine are usually first-line drugs that are used at bedtime. Uh, the other one that's often used now is gabapentin or norantin. The trouble with it is it actually takes quite a few weeks for it to start working, so you have to slowly tape out the dose. The other problem is that the side effects increase as the dose increases, and in my practice and my experience with it, most patients get bothered by the side effects and stop the gabapentin. It doesn't get to levels or, you know, they go to the maximum levels and they're not having relief. There are actually a couple of newer medications out on the market now, Lyrica and Cymbalta, and they both have approval by the FDA for treatment of painful peripheral neuropathy. And Lyrica is kind of a second-generation gabapentin, Neurontin. It's more potent at lower doses, and it has less chance than to get to side effects because it'll start working sooner. So I do use that if people are having trouble with side effects. They're responding to the gabapentin, but the side effects are getting worse as they increase dosages. And my side effects, I you know, the most common one is this feeling of zombiness, somnolence that people have, inability to think clearly, to concentrate, and sometimes lack of balance. 
And as you know, neuropathy affects your sense of balance already, too. So that's not a good combo. Well, with Cymbalta, I know I've had a lot of patients uh, given Cymbalta for depression. Yeah, Cymbalta is the other one. So Lyrica I will use in people that show some response to gabapentin but have side effect issues. Cymbalta is the other one. And if they don't respond to gabapentin or the tricyclics, I will try Cymbalta. And it has the dual indication for depression and uh, peripheral neuropathy. And, you know, severe peripheral neuropathy does make people depressed because it's an unrelenting pain that they can't escape from. What about any techniques that don't uh, include medication to treat neuropathy? There are some things that work. And one of them is the lidocaine 5% patch that is applied 12 hours on and then removed for 12 hours so they can put it on the leg or the foot, top of the foot, wherever. Also, you can use lidocaine in a cream form, 2.5% or 5%, and that can be used, and that's quite safe, and it's a good alternative. The same with uh, modalities such as acupuncture. Acupuncture is used in treatment of all kinds of pains, as you know, and also electroacupuncture. So some people respond to those. TENS units are used that people wear. Those are all alternatives. What else do you do on a more thorough exam in your office? I do check the monofilament. I also check vibratory perception. And in an objective manner, you would want to do it with a vibrometer, which gives you, you know, a reading that you can record and put down. But in a more clinical setting, I just check the vibratory sensation. I let them know what they feel like at their upper extremity, their wrist or their elbow or their chest somewhere. And then check them at the ankle and at the metatarsal head area. And then if I can feel it for three, four, five seconds longer than they can, then there is a decrease. Uh, The other thing I check is reflexes, which are also affected. And you can have loss of patella and Achilles reflexes. In neuropathy, it doesn't correspond that well. There are other things that lead to loss of reflexes, but I do check. Um, Then I also check physician sense, meaning can they tell if a toe is up or down? They close their eyes. Are they aware where the toe is up or down? And I check muscle strength. You know, I look at the foot because from neuropathy, motor neuropathy, you get, you know, hammering of the digits and overpowering of the extensor tendons, you get kind of a thinned out arch due to atrophy of the intra-small muscles. Yeah, the cavus foot. Yeah, typical cavus foot. You know, you get that kind of muscle atrophy. You get loss of hair on the, in the foot and the lower leg. Then another thing that I check is, which is important to check, is their balance. Because the sense of balance is affected. If you can't feel your feet and you're numb up to your knees, then you have to caution your patients about walking around in the dark. So what I, you know, I check a Romberg's test. I have them stand up, close their eyes, and I observe their body for swaying. During the day, your eyes compensate and help you with your balance. So at night, getting up and walking to the bathroom, people walk into the wall because they don't walk straight. They can't see where they're going and those things. Is diabetic neuropathy reversible? It depends if the nerves are just irritated, like the very, very early stages with some minor symptoms and then good blood sugar control. You probably can prevent permanent damage. 
if you're numb up to your knees, that's highly unlikely. And I would say in closing that there's a big list of differential diagnoses for neuropathy, and they may have a partially reversible cause in addition to their diabetes, like you know vitamin uh, deficiency or toxicity. That's a good point. And a lot of patients have both, have diabetes and a vitamin deficiency, vitamin B12 deficiency, yeah. or another issue. Agent Orange exposure in the veterans that we see, the Vietnam veterans, also chemotherapy for colon cancer or whatever, any kind of chemotherapy can lead to neuropathy. Yeah, unfortunately, when you have diabetes, you're not exempt from uh, other conditions. Well, I would like to thank our guest, podiatrist from San Diego, California at the Veteran Affairs Medical Center, Dr. Ingrid Kruiser. Dr. Kruiser, thanks so much for spending time with us and sharing with us your expertise on diabetes discourse. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to Diabetes Discourse, sponsored by Novo Nordisk, a world leader in diabetes care. To learn more about diabetes and the role of GLP-1, visit novomedlink.com forward slash DIA. For more details on the interviews and conversations in this week's show, or to download the segment, visit us at reachmd.com. What are you reading? I'm reading about something called GLP-1. Is it a robot? No. (laughs) GLP-1 is a natural hormone that helps regulate glucose metabolism. Its multiple actions are critical to glucose control. Huh? Okay. Well, GLP-1 works in a glucose-dependent manner. It stimulates the beta cells in your pancreas to secrete insulin and inhibit the liver from releasing excessive glucose by reducing glucagon secretion from alpha cells. It also helps regulate food ingestion by slowing gastric emptying in your stomach here (laughs) and making you feel full. Like at Thanksgiving? Yes. Um, I don't get it. Is it important? Well, GLP-1 is important because it impacts the multiple systems affected by diabetes. It also plays a significant role in protecting beta cells, a key to slowing diabetes progression. Unfortunately, many people with type 2 diabetes have impaired GLP-1 secretion and impaired beta cell response to GLP-1. Like Grandpa? Yes. And like many of my type 2 diabetes patients. That's why I want to make sure I'm looking at the whole picture in diabetes. Sustained control of A1C is important, but we can't stop there. It's important to look at weight, cardiovascular risk, and beta cell dysfunction. Impaired GLP-1 physiology is also a part of the problem, and the multiple actions of GLP-1 throughout the body are critical. So, the GLP-1 robot will help you see the whole picture. (laughs) Yes, I guess in a way it will. Novo Nordisk is a world leader in diabetes care and is dedicated to ongoing research. To learn more about GLP-1 and the role it plays in diabetes, please visit novomedlink.com slash DIA.